Hello, and welcome to My Bright Idea, the stories behind successful small businesses. I'm your host, Cameron Glenar. If you're one of the listeners that's been around since the beginning of the podcast, you may have noticed that my first handful of episodes have been local to my specific area. Now, I do have some national and even international interviews coming up, but when I was in the planning stages of My Bright Idea and reaching out to business owners to share their stories, I purposely reached out to my local community first. I believe strongly about supporting local businesses because I feel like they're an integral part of the foundation of what makes a community strong. When a small business has success, that positivity growth branches out and spreads throughout the local community in a lot of different ways, like strengthening the economy to creating more jobs and opportunities, to keeping tax dollars local, to just building real character in the community. I don't know about you, but I'd much rather see a thriving mom and pop shop in my neighborhood than another Walmart Supercenter or a Starbucks right across the street from an identical Starbucks. I just don't get it. So I have to say, I'm really glad today's guest decided to share his story with us about the business he started with his brother, Aesthetic Climbing Gym. Aesthetic is a local business in Lake Forest, which is a small town right next door to mine. And I find the story behind the gym so inspirational, from when they initially decided to act on the idea to start a rock climbing gym, despite skepticism from people around them, then to build it into an amazingly popular destination for climbers, professional and novice from miles around, and how they were able to power through the recent pandemic. While so many fitness centers were folding left and right, theirs actually thrived and came out bigger and stronger than before. So hold on tight and stick around, because I promise you, you're going to love this interview with Trevor Arndt of Aesthetic Climbing Gym. Trevor, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Cameron. So let me ask you a question. Anywhere in the world, if there's a mountain or a rock you can climb, what is your ultimate goal? Oh, that's a great question to lead us off with. I think for myself, I've been into rock climbing for about 16 years, and there's so much that the world has to offer. But honestly, a big dream kind of that's always been in my heart is to have the ability and the time to travel the United States and visit our national parks. And there's just so much diversity in the climbing here in our homeland that, you know, that's where I would love to be able to visit you know, the North Pacific Northwest, and there's amazing bouldering that's climbing without ropes up there. And then even visiting the deep South and like Tennessee and Kentucky. And there's just so much diversity. You got stuff up in New York, you got stuff in the Midwest. So, um, you know, honestly, before I traveled to maybe Europe or there's the Rocklands, which is a super big famous spot in South Africa, or, um, you know, you have the Grampians in Australia, there's rock everywhere, right? But I think I would really love to travel the United States and see our own country and visit all those rocks, climbing crags and whatnot. Yeah, I've got to admit, I'm not a very athletic person. And I, I ski because my wife makes me. I just started <laughs> I, I just started skiing at the age of uh, 40. And I'm, there we go. I'm, I'm somewhere in my mid 40s. So, you know, I haven't I haven't been skiing that long. But aside from that, I tried gyms a few times and I just I 
could never stick with it. Um, totally. You know, I'm a real estate agent. So I'm, you know, when I go out with clients, you know, there's always stairs, especially in South Orange mm-hmm. County here, there's stairs in every house. And by the time I get to the fifth house, I'm like, all right, you guys go on, you explore <laughs> upstairs. I'm going to hang out down here in the living room. Right. You're you like, know? I got my steps already for today. I'm good. Like, check it out. Bathroom's exactly. On the left. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, when, when it comes to mountain climbing and extreme sports, I'm just like, oh gosh, that's, yeah, it, I don't know what the heck is going on there. Totally. But, but you have a climbing gym. Yep. You want to tell me about your climbing gym? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of picking up where you left off, I think a lot of people could be intimidated with rock climbing. They're just like, oh my gosh, you know, maybe they saw Free Solo on Netflix with Alex Honnold and he goes to Yosemite and climbs 3000 feet without a rope. And they're like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. That's crazy. What's going on in his brain? And honestly, you know, I started climbing 16 years ago and I was going outside. So Joshua trees in our backyard here in Southern California. And there's plenty of spots within an hour drive from Orange County that you could go to. And, you know, that's where my initial exposure happened. And I was, you know, climbing anywhere from 10 to a thousand feet up in the air and just getting my exposure that way. And then one day my buddy was like, Hey, do you want to go check out the indoor climbing gym? And I was like, what are you talking about? Climbing is outside. It's a real thing on a rock. There are gyms for this. And so there birthed the whole idea and concept that I don't have to drive two hours to go rock climbing. I could drive, you know, 10, 15 minutes to my local climbing gym where it's been around at least Southern California for 30 years or so where you'd have a building in an industrial plaza or whatnot. And inside that building, there were modified walls that have different overhangs and angles and features. And then they have plastic grips or holds on the wall and you climb that movement or you climb that route, we call it. And that just rocked my perspective because it all of a sudden gave me the ability to, instead of just climbing on the weekends when I had availability, I could be done with school, done with work, jam down to the local climbing gym and participate in a community that is so close to my heart. So yeah, it's uh, kind of breaking down the walls right now in 2021 with climbing, getting nominated to be in the Olympics. And it's going to be this huge thing that everyone finds out they're going to all of a sudden search on their phone, like indoor rock climbing gym, and they're going to find in their backyard, they're going to have two or three different gyms to choose from. So it's about to just flood onto the scene as this huge thing that people could do. Wow. And I got to say, I heard two puns in there and I just let them <laughs> For sure. My girlfriend's all about puns, so she rubs off on me in a good way. There you go. Uh, yeah, and I, I've seen rock climbing walls on cruise ships and there's, you know, kids do them as birthday parties are just mm-hmm. like everywhere. But you've taken it to another level here with the actual gym and a athletic sport aspect to it. When did, when did the sport aspect actually become part of the game? Um, so I think there's been youth climbing competitions since the mid-90s. It's always been a scene. You can actually go back to like the X Games and actually there have been competitions in Colorado. I don't know the exact start date of climbing competitions, but it's been around. It just has always been on the back 
earner or not so mainstream. And I would honestly say in the early 2000s was when climbing really start to have a presence, just like you have AYSO soccer, Pop Warner football, or Little League baseball. Now you have USA Climbing, and they're coming in as a parent corporation that is working hand in hand with local gyms in regions to bring forth the ability to have kids compete through climbing. And I always tell people, if we had this option when we were kids, we wouldn't do any other sport. Climbing is so unique. It's so fun. And oftentimes, you know, you're climbing against yourself. So it's not that pressure against another team or I have a wrestling background and, you know, I'd have those butterflies like staring down my opponent and then hopping on the mat and oh my gosh, right? But climbing is so different. So there's been this big turn of tides recently. Now, isn't it becoming a part of the Olympics? Totally. Yeah. yeah. So actually, and, so, and, and it's like all these extreme sports like surfing and skateboarding and, and rock climbing, right? Because mm-hmm. you just mentioned it's sort of um, you're competing against yourself. How does this become an Olympic sport? How do they rate you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's been something that has been in the works for a while. And um, the IFC, which is the International Federation of Climbing, they've been working out how to score, right, the different disciplines of rock climbing. So when climbing got nominated, along with these other action sports, you brought up surfing, skateboarding, the climbing disciplines. So there's speed climbing, where there's a generic route that's 15 meters, and it's how fast you can get to the top. And I think the world record right now is somewhere around like five seconds. So right, if you're like 15 meters, three feet in a meter, so five seconds to go 45 feet vertical, so fast. These guys are like Speedy Gonzalez on the wall, right? And then you also have the discipline of rope climbing, where there will be, say, anywhere from three to five routes that are, say, 60 feet tall. And there are zones as you ascend the wall and you get to different zones, you score those points. And ideally, you get to the top. We call it sending the climb in rock climbing, right? You get to the top, you get full points. And there's a trained group of people that are high level, we call them route setters in this profession that are at the top of their game. And they'll make sure that they put the holds on in a way that challenge these top level athletes to the brink of their physical and their mental states. And so there's like all competitions, there's series. And so you'll have, you know, your preliminaries and then your quarters and your semis and your finals, and it just weeds out to then deliver a champion. And then there's also bouldering. And that's what's taking the scene right now. Bouldering is what is super hot. And that's where you're climbing without a rope anywhere from 10 to 15 feet high. And it's very gymnastic. It's explosive. It's flashy. And um, a lot of it is coordination moves now where you're almost mixing gymnastics and parkour and rock climbing all in one. And so within these three disciplines, they've created a whole scoring system that will allow I think this first round in 2021 it's going to be an overall champion so you have to be good at speed sport and bouldering and then hopefully by 2024 when the Olympics are in France we can have individual champions just like you have in gymnastics and then you could have an overall champion as well. So has this become a worldwide phenomenon? Honestly America's late to the game like to tell you the truth Europe is like I would say five years ahead of us and all these other big level countries, uh, they actually have professional athletes representing the country. So you can look at Germany, France, uh, Japan, China, like all these other 
countries out there pay their top two climbers to become professional athletes in that discipline. And so the United States is catching up. I think a lot of our focus is on football or basketball, these other sports that have been around for a while. But uh, just wait and see. Climbing is going to be knocking on the door here pretty soon. Wow. And do you have anybody, which is a Olympic level or just like extreme level climbers or members at your gym? Absolutely. Um, so our team captain, uh, Nathan Monty, he has in his heart to compete in the 2024 Olympics in France. And this kid has come onto the scene super strong. And it's mind blowing to see how far he started, you know, three years ago when he was playing flag football and he has just turned this thing on and he has that intrinsic drive we can't speak highly enough for him but he actually last year he placed uh, 32 in the nation for his age category and um, he's actually blown past that and he is at the top level seeking you know high level training from these uh, professional organizations just really sharpening his tools and his skill sets so that he can go represent the united states and i fully believe that he will do so and are people like getting sponsored and stuff for this? Absolutely. So there are full-blown sponsorships. You can think about the outdoor industry. You have like North Face, Patagonia, Black Diamond, like all these big outdoor companies. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that you make a whole ton of money being a sponsored athlete in climbing, but maybe you don't have to pay for a lot of things. So your travel fees are covered, your food expenses, and you get to go live this amazing life or have these experiences. And then for those rare few, like in all sports and disciplines, they have the breakouts that you know can get signing bonuses or speaking talks and stuff like that. So um, I think in the near future, there will be money to be made in the sport. And there's actually going... I truly passionately believe there will be scholarships on the line to go to college. And um, it's just going to, it's going to change the game for high school athletes. Not bad at all. So I want to get into your business. Take me to, to day one or just before when you thought I can actually start my own gym with rock climbing. Man, that's gonna, that's gonna take me back like 12 years, right? So um yeah, I graduated high school in 2006 and everyone is always asking me, you know, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I had no idea. I wanted to do whatever was going to allow me to have summertime vibes with surfing and climbing and just camping, doing kind of what my passions are. Well, you, and, grew, up in the, you grew up in the right state for that. <laughs> absolutely. I feel so uh, fortunate and I'm grateful every single day to be here in Orange County. I love this place and, um, you know, just so thankful to have been able to be given an opportunity to stay here. But yeah, starting the climbing gym, it was really uh, it came out of nowhere. I was very passionately pursuing physical therapy. So I worked at an outpatient clinic for about four and a half years. And I was being really coached and guided and mentored on becoming that physical therapist to the top of my ability. I've always wanted to give back to people. And that's something that PTs are just so notoriously known for, right? They can take someone that comes into their facility pre-op, post-op, um, kind of my big experience was having someone that came in with a stroke, right? They couldn't walk. And after about working with them for two months, you know, we were passing a volleyball back and forth. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to change people's lives. Um, and so I was going to school at Orange Coast College and was getting ready to transfer to Loma Linda University. And that big realization came to the forefront of my mind that, oh my gosh, this is going to cost a ton of money. 
to go to a private school, to, you know, move out from home, to pay for room and board and food and do all that. I was like, do I want to make that commitment and investment? And at the time, I was taking a business communications class and uh, my buddy that was sitting next to me in that class was like, hey, you're always talking about rock climbing. Why don't you open a climbing gym? And that planted the seed, right? That was in that moment, I checked out a class, I pulled out a piece of paper and I drew a archaic, you know, spider web outline of like center point was climbing gym. What do you need? You need a building. What do you need? You need money. What do you need? You need marketing, advertising. What do you need? You need Holt. What do you need people? And I was like, well, this is an idea. Okay. And so then, you know, it was about two, three more weeks and I just couldn't shake it. That was something that was so passionate. And my brother was with me at the time and we were like, no, let's do this thing. And so I remember making that decision with my brother, Dylan, and we were in an accounting class taking an exam we didn't study for. And I looked at it and I was like, bro, this is going to be the only time we ever get to do this. Walked up to the teacher, turned in a blank test. And we're like, we're actually dropping out today to open a business. And everyone laughed at us, you know, like, what are you guys talking about? That's never going to work this and that. And we pursued it. And we just started putting the pieces together. We didn't really tell our parents. So we kept it secret for about two months. I don't advise anyone to do that. Like you definitely want to involve your parents. um, Because we got the licking of a lifetime when they found out we dropped out of school. And honestly, it was just because they wanted us to have an opportunity that they didn't get to pursue. Um, You know, they got plugged into the workforce, they had kids, um, you know, in their late 20s. And so it was just, you know, not really the cards that were dealt to them. And so they just wanted to make sure that we had a better opportunity or chance to go forward. And, you know, we were so convicted that after I had created a 120 page business plan full of demographics, prices, um, you know, projections, competitive analysis, cost analysis, and just everything under the sun, like market research, real estate, everything that you could really think of. You know, my parents were like, you guys are serious. Okay. So then they endorsed the idea, but they still weren't supporting us, right? They were just kind of backing off from the devil's advocate. And they were like, okay, let's see what these kids do. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, we had the idea on paper, but we needed the dollar amount. And I think that's what holds so many people back. You know, we ended up raising $375,000. It was like, what? These young kids raised all this money. And it started with um, a close buddy of ours named Randy. And he uh, came out of the Navy and he had like a bonus and he took half his bonus and put it in investments. And then the other half, um, it was about like $10,000. And he was like, hey guys, I believe in you. And boom. That was it. Our first $10,000. We took that, opened a bank account, put that in there. And then we were like, okay, well, we did it with him. Let's do it with other people. And so we just started to, you know, put our feelers out there, start to just ask those questions. Anyone that we came across with in the climbing community, whether it was at gyms or at outdoor crags or whatever it was, we were sharing our dream. We were sharing our passion. And uh, then one day we're at a climbing gym and we met this guy, his name is Jeremy Meza, and um, he was one of our founding partners. He's no longer with our company. He kind of like uh, moved out to the East Coast, but he walked into the gym that we were at, and he was like king of the castle. And we were like, "Who is this guy walking in here, thinking he owns the place?" And it was it was kind of like off at the get go, and then we found out that he was like super chill, and we got along really quickly. And um, we were at a barbecue at his house one day, and he was like, 
guys, what are you doing with your life? And we're like, we're opening a climbing gym. And right there, he's like, that's my dream. It's been my dream for 10 years. And so, um, you know, we just on that spur of the moment passion became business partners. And then he brought, you know, 50 grand to the table. And it was like, boom, okay, now we got some money. And then um, it things just started to happen. We started to talk to people that we went to high school with. And going to Laguna Hills High School that's nuzzled up right next to Nellie Gale, coded to causes in our backyard, two affluent communities. And um, my brother and I were like, who's the rich kids in the class? And we just started going through and we were like knocking on doors, cold calling, like showing up, bringing our business plan. You know, people were laughing at us and just being like, that's never going to work. What are you talking about? Guys, you should have stayed in college, this and that. And then, um, you know, one couple, uh, they actually stuck and that was Tom Pike and super awesome dude. And he had a buddy. And so him and his buddy threw in 30 K a piece and we're like, Oh my gosh, we're getting all this money. And then, you know, it came to the point where my parents saw that we had a good amount of cash in the bank account, but it was nowhere close, right? If we wanted to go qualify for a bank loan or anything like that, the bank was like, what collateral do you have? And I'm like, well, I own my Subaru Impreza. You want that? But that wasn't going to be anything to, you know, match the amount of money that we needed. And so, you know, my parents- How much did you need? Um, at that point, we had raised close to like $120,000. And then, you know, we ended up raising 375. So we were about a third of the way there, right? And um, at that point, it was like, all right, mom and dad, we got to make this happen. Like, this is real. We got a lot of money. And, you know, I think what they saw was our skin was in the game. You know, we were so committed. We had been doing this market research for a year, stewarding the resources, really eliminating all distractions. I love uh, the acronym for FOCUS, and it's like follow one course until successful. And so we weren't getting distracted. We weren't trying to take that money and like double it or anything. We were just, how can we make this happen? And so my parents stepped in and filled the gap with the remainder balance, and they actually allowed us to put uh, lean against their house, which I am forever grateful to my parents because without them taking the chance and the risk with us, we wouldn't have never been here, you know, 12 years later with one of the top facilities in Southern California. So, um, that was, a that was about a month long of biting our fingertips and like our nails and just like, Oh my gosh, is this really going to happen? Are we going to do this? If we default, we're going to lose the house. So we can't default. Like what's this going to look like? And ultimately I like to say we took the approach that Christopher Columbus did when he got to the new world, right? He he burned his ships to motivate his crew. And that is exactly what we did. You know, we put it all on the line where failure wasn't an option. And I think um, in all disciplines of success, that's like the barrier to entry. You have to be all in. You have to be willing to go to that utmost edge like that brink of what you think you can do take the lid off what that is and then go even further and get all in and get committed and so ended up raising enough funds all the while right we never had any business uh education we didn't do any of that in college you you had half an education (laughs) yeah like you know i took a couple economic classes but honestly it didn't it didn't teach us anything for what the road was ahead of us as far as the way you explained you laying out your plan, like you talked about the the little spider web thing that you made mm-hmm. with, you know, just like, these are all of the elements that I need to start this business the right way. Where did you learn all that? Because you're talking about yourself as a kid. Most kids wouldn't have the brains or, or the guts to do that. Where, <laughs> yeah, totally. Where did, where did this come from? Honestly, I've, I've always enjoyed learning um, school 
was something that was just very natural for me. And I want to say like spider web concepts comes from like English classes. And I had great teachers going to Laguna Hills High School. Uh, there was one that stood out uh, that really impacted me. His name was Mr. Gunderson. And uh, he really just drew creative spirit out of me. And I literally just, I, I don't know where it came from, but it was just like a spider web concept that seemed, it was just, hey, this is what you do. If you have your central idea and then you put it all together and try and make it happen. And then I, you know, at least for my story going through school, I had really amazing teachers from, you know, kindergarten and then transferring schools to a different elementary school and then finding good teachers there and then transferring to a different junior high. And so we always were moving as we were uh, growing up, but I got good teachers. Wasn't so much for my brother. He kind of had like the other experience with uh, school, didn't really uh, connect ever with a certain teacher. But between both of us, we were able to fill each other's gaps. And, you know, I think it was just a dog on a bone. You know, it wasn't necessarily a dream of mine to open a business, but I saw an opportunity. You know, my brother and I, we were driving one hour to go to Inland Riverside to go indoor rock climbing from Orange County. And we were like, we got to make this happen. So just applying what we learned through, you know, grade school, uh, intermediate school, high school, little bit of college. I had a very impactful English professor, Eric Ragno. He actually, uh, the first year that I was at OCC, he was doing his first year teaching. He just got out of Berkeley. And so he basically took his curriculum from Berkeley and then brought it to OCC. And we were like, we were in the thick of it, right? Like we were in this tough English class. I'm like, hey man, this is supposed to be freshman composition. Like I'm not an English major, what's going on here? But yeah, I've always just had the knack with organization. That's kind of, I'm a type A, uh, I'm a choleric in nature. So I'm gonna be organized and I'm also like a sanguine. So I like to have fun. I like to be out and loud and about and connecting and doing all that. And so it just really played into my personality to have structure but then also to have fun and pursue and find all these things. So um, I can't, I can't really pinpoint, like I took this that delivered this. I just applied what my life had taught me through my upbringing of, you know, mentors and coaches and teachers and everyone that played a key role in my life, getting to that point at 20 years old. Well, God bless them, man. But yeah. Let's fast forward again. You got, uh, what half of your seed money. And then it sounds like you went to your parents and said, we got to make this happen. Totally. And then they were just like, okay. And, um, when, you know, we dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's, the money got funded in the bank account. And then, uh, we got to work. Uh, my dad has been in the construction industry my entire life building, you know, 12 to $20 million high level, high end homes. And so just has the array and the most experience I've met from any man as far as like in the construction field. And he actually owns his own construction company and we just went to work. And so we definitely had the connections for the contractors to come in and perform the skill sets. So like the framers, but then <laughs> the framers would come in and, you know, they would work their eight to five and then we would work five to midnight. Like we were under the gun. We kind of, before we started construction, we signed our lease March 18th, 2012. And that was the day of my birthday. And it was like, okay, happy birthday to me. We signed a lease. And then we had this crazy idea 
that it was is ridiculous. I don't advise people to do this, but we were going to have a $12,000 cash purse competition to invite the top climbers in North America to come and debut our walls. We were like, yeah, this is going to be a great idea. Yeah, we have, you know, $375,000. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, that $375,000 $375, went by like that so quickly, so fast. We should have had like half a million, honestly. But, you know, we set the date where we're going to open September 2nd, 2012. It's March 18th, 2012. Within that gap, we went to work. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> there are so many memories of just like sleeping on a crash pad at the gym because we are there working so late and we we're going to start super early in the next morning. And every single day was just how far could we take this thing? How fast could we push it? How fast could we jump and get to that next inspection so we could get signed off on steel and then we could get signed off on framing and then we can get signed off on sheeting and then we could texture and then we could, you know, bring in the padding specialist, shout out to Asana client. I mean, they're the best in the industry. We love those guys. Um, but we flew out that owner there and he surveyed the flooring system so that we would provide the best quality flooring systems for Southern California's public to make sure they'd be safe, right? And it was just one thing after the next, after the next. And I remember going into the competition, the walls were built. I was super nervous because all these athletes are coming in and we have $0 in the bank account. And I'm like, we have $0 in the bank account. We're throwing out this cash purse for $12,000. We haven't paid rent yet. Oh my gosh, sick to my stomach, but let's have a party and let's have fun. And, um, you know, it really was chaos. I have no idea how we got through year one. It was it was wild, man. We there were young punk kids that, you know, had a dream, had a positive attitude. And, you know, I don't think anyone could have matched our work ethic. I think those are big, three big things that you need in life, you know, a dream, a work ethic and attitude to get you through the thick and thin. And, you know, we just made it happen. It was kind of nuts. You know, we went through I think it was like 13 different landlords before we actually found a location to secure us because no one believed in us. Everyone was like, okay, you have the money, but we've never heard of an indoor rock climbing gym being successful, this and that. And so we were in this 12,000 square foot building where we didn't utilize all of it. We actually didn't finish construction before we opened. We like ran out of money and it was like, this is what we got. Okay, let's go. Let's see what happens. And then, you know, just kept it close to the heart and kept that passion alive by pouring in our heart and soul every single day from there on out once we opened. So what I'm really curious about is how did you pay off this $12,000 prize money? <laughs> we borrowed it from our parents and uh, Jeremy's parents, and then we paid him back for it. So yeah. <laughs> so was it worth it in the end? Um, I probably, okay. Like, honestly, I heard recently that you're supposed to have close to like a year of working capital in the bank account before you open a business. And I was like, whoa, we didn't even have it anywhere close to that. So I think if you would have had a year of working capital, absolutely. I think, um, you know, wherever I go, people have heard of Aesthetic Climbing Gym. And that was kind of, I think our competition when we first opened was the gunshot that was heard around the world right? If I use that analogy where everyone in the climbing scene was like, who's this young punk couple kids that are opening this competition with their opening of the climbing gym and making all this happen. And at the time, it was the largest cash purse competition that had ever happened in the United States. 
And so we were like, hey, money brings attention. Let's throw it out there and see what happens. And we got some of the top level climbers to come down, you know, like Daniel Woods, uh, Alex Puccio, uh, John Cardwell, Nina Williams, Courtney Saunders, Alex Johnson, you know, these top level athletes that are at the peak of their game right now. And um, whenever I run into them, I'm like, oh, hey, remember I paid you, you know, $3,000 when you won my competition? Like, oh yeah, awesome, cool. So, um, you know, it's, I definitely think it was worth it. I think everything that we did got us to where we are now. So I wouldn't go back and change anything. But if I could go back and tell myself a couple things, hopefully I would listen to myself, but I don't know. I have to tell myself that it was worth it. That's life. So after the competition, it's time to open your doors to the public. Yeah. Um, yeah, so opening the doors to the public, um, we had all been members of climbing gyms before of Jeremy, myself and my brother, and we knew what vibe we wanted to create. We knew the culture, we knew kind of that environment that we wanted and the community that we wanted to start creating. And so, you know, it was just opening up the gym and seeing what would happen. And I remember, I remember there being, you know, a week at a time where we would see five people that whole week. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did we do this for? This is crazy. We saw five people this week, Red's due in two weeks. How are we gonna make this happen? And we were opening the gym at 12 o'clock. So before 12, we were going to schools, we were going to local businesses, we were going to coffee shops, and we were just handing out little flyers. We were trying to create donation incentive programs with schooling systems, just anything to get the word out. And um, mind you, this was kind of before there was this whole social media thing like Instagram and Facebook marketing and advertising. We were young kids that didn't really know how to use any of that. We had a website, but you know, it was all word of mouth. So we were like, how can we really rattle the tree and get the word out there? And so, you know, we started plugging in tight with like Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and uh, Boys and Girls Clubs and YMCA and just really trying to find where we could see that funnel that would allow people to hear about us, come in and have fun. And really rock climbing, it's so unique where I think it's a 50-50 shot. You're either going to come in and give it a whirl, try it out. You'll have fun regardless, but it's either going to be like, yeah, I want to do that tomorrow or maybe next month. So it'll be kind of that seed planted or it'll be off the bucket list. Cool. I did rock climbing, not for me. And with those odds, I think it just really allowed us to build momentum very slowly. <laughs> it was just one by one by one. Have you ever seen anybody come in, never climbed in their life, just become fanatics? 100%. That happens all the time. I think because there isn't a lot of exposure to rock climbing or the sport itself, that it's it's almost primordial, right? As we're born, we're babies and we're learning to crawl and climb over things and trying to walk. And then we're climbing on the furniture, the shelves, and we're climbing on our parents and we're going to grade school, whether it's preschool or kindergarten, we're climbing on the play equipment. We're, we're doing just this normal action that is like pre-programmed in us. And then we lose touch of that. We lose touch of that as we go through grade school, as we get exposed to ballistic sports, maybe it's soccer, maybe it's football, maybe it's baseball. We learn as we grow up that it hurts to fall. So we don't want to do anything that's going to force us to fall. And so we kind of get away from that. And then all of a sudden come to the scene, indoor rock climbing, and you get re-exposed to that 
childhood, that nostalgic feeling of, oh my gosh, climbing again. And at our facility, at least, and I, I want to say at all climbing gyms, wherever you are in the country or the world for that matter, you know, your local climbing gym is going to have climbs and routes that are for the person that's just getting into it as well as the most experienced. So, you know, wherever you are in fitness level, in ability, in desire, in dream, whatnot, um, when you come in and you get on the wall and you start moving your hands and your feet, you just light up. And we see it all the time where um, actually speaking on our first year, uh, we're actually situated really closely to a high school and um, a lot of the track athletes started to come and climb at the gym. And this was like not even on our radar, but we had planted and fertilized and grew seeds and the track team that they all quit the track team to just rock climb all the time. And we kind of got in trouble. Like we didn't get in trouble, but the local track coaches were like, where did all our kids go? And then they came to this local climbing gym and they're like, Oh, we see what happened here. And then we kind of lost favor with that high school. Cause we kind of like took a lot of their athletes, but, um, <laughs> wait, 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 but did the school adapt and build a rock climbing wall? No, it's actually, oh, it's crazy. <laughs> we've like tried and, um, we've actually started a handful of clubs at different local high schools, but it comes from the student body. So it has to come from within their group and be like, okay, yeah, we want to do this. And then we support it. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny that you asked that specific question because we did that to a group of high schoolers. And then we see it with kids that get burnt out on all these other sports. You know, they're just competing from a really young age or they're tired or, um, you know, they're looking for that next thing. And when you find rock climbing, you stop looking for that next thing because it's something you can do with your parents. You can do it with your siblings. You can do it with your best friend. You can do it with a complete stranger and become really good friends because it's all under that same roof where we're all trying our hardest. We're all having fun. We're all trying to figure out the complexity. And there's just something special about the climbing community in that way. So I got to say, I was before our interview, I was telling my wife, uh, you know, who I was going to be interviewing. And she asked, what the name of the gym is. And I told her and she's like, Oh, I was there. <laughs> so it, it was actually my son's friend's birthday party. There we go. Offering something like the birthday parties and the family uh, friendly experience must add a lot to just the feeling in the gym and people becoming lifetime members, right? Right. Yeah. And so kind of you're hitting the cord on a couple things for my heart right now where um you know my my mission at aesthetic is to first and foremost give back to the community that's given us an opportunity to um you know thrive through these past eight and a half years covid different story but you know they've been here for us and you know second i want to be able to open doors for those that want to get into the outdoor industry being involved in this community for over 16 years i've been able to network with a lot of people and you know if someone wants to go get into ice climbing or they want to go get into backpacking or mountaineering or whatever you know i'm one or two phone calls away from being able to connect them with that and then okay wait um, wait, wait a minute wait a minute ice climbing <laughs> yes like like with a pick and yeah so you get like crampons on their attachment to your boots and you suit up and then you have ice axes and then uh you know you find your frozen ice over the rock wall or the cliffside and 
it's it's wild, man. Then you just start hammering away with your ice axe and you're going up and you're slamming your crampons in, you're putting in your ice screws to clip your rope in. And it's a whole nother story, man. It's crazy. Wow. Um, sorry to interrupt. I, where were you going with that? Yeah, totally. Um, and then, you know, just to be able to, you know, have a thriving business that gives opportunity for people that are looking for jobs. Right. And so I think like that's the big thing for us is being able to focus on, you know, a specific niche, you could call it. I remember when we were first putting together our business plan, one of our mentors at the time was like, find your target market, find who you want to connect with, who speaks to your heart, who speaks to your passion. And, you know, we were thinking about high level athletes. We were thinking about uh, kids. We were thinking about college. We were thinking about um, parents. You know, we were thinking about just all these different target market groups that we could really focus on. And then, you know, we all unanimously decided family. That's what we are. We're family at Aesthetic Climbing Gym. And we really want to cater to having that family vibe where, you know, come as you are, be excited, add to our culture, add to our value and really serve that. And so that's where we've really, really buckled down and created programs, birthday parties, um, events and opportunities and classes that aren't just focused on kids. They aren't just focused on college students or parents or adults, right? But that family unit where mom and dad and son and daughter can come in, have an experience, whether it's a party or just a climbing session or part of our youth programs or take a class together. And, you know, I think, I think that family unit is so important. And something that I've really learned is like, if you can't, if you can't have that family unit together at home, then, you know, it's just going to be hard to have success outside of the house and whatnot. And so for us, it was just like, okay, let's allow that family union to come in and have fun at the gym and then, you know, feel connected and together. Cause I feel like in this day and age, you know, mom goes to work, dad goes to work, kids go off to school and then they come back and they see each other, you know, for dinner or to do homework. And we wanted to be able to add to the family unit, which is like so important. But you also have your hardcore people, as you <laughs> talked about earlier. Totally. So somebody like me, like like I mentioned, I'm not a very athletic person. I don't really go to the gym. I'm in front of my computer all the time. What are the health benefits of rock climbing? Absolutely. That's a great question. And um, honestly, so the byproduct of rock climbing is a great workout right? You're not going to the rock climbing gym in the same mindset that you would go to a fitness facility where, okay, I'm going to warm up on the treadmill. I'm going to pump out some weights. I'm going to do my yoga or take my class, whatever it is. You're going to come to the gym and you're going to climb. And the statistics out there is that you burn 1200 calories an hour climbing. And so I always tell people that and they're like, what? It's very, wow. it's very similar to swimming, right? Because it's a whole body workout. And um, it's not like you can come to the climbing gym, sit in there for an hour and burn 1200 calories. But typical climbing sessions last about two hours. And so you know, you climb two or three climbs, and then you take a break. And then you repeat two or three climbs, take a break, two or three climbs, take a break. And you do that for about two hours. And then that's about an hour of active climb time. And then an hour of rest time or chill time or conversation time, whatever you fill that break time with. And if you're doing that, you know, two, three days a week, you're going to see some tremendous uh, change, physical changes on your body. Um, kind of our big claim to fame is that we had a homie, his name was Chris, and he came into the gym. He was like, 
I don't know, 330 pounds, five, 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 six, like short guy, just big. And he was like, I'm never going to be able to do this. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, are you open to actually following, uh, you know, program that we devise up for you that will help you achieve your goal. And he wanted to, you know, get below 250. And, you know, it was at a point in his life that he was ready to commit to something. And so after a year of staying on our program, working with us, changing his diet, he got down to 205 pounds and his life has forever changed since. And so that's like been our big call to fame. And that was like 2013, 2014. And now you're seeing this huge wave of people like, I want to lose, I, I call it the COVID 20. Like it affected me in like more of like the COVID 40 pounds. Um, but yeah, like climbing is that fun activity that you can come and do, you know, two to three times a week and have tremendous health benefits of, you know, weight loss of muscle stamina. And honestly, a lot of mental health. Because you're, you're focused so intensely on the climb in that moment that you forget about, you know, the F you got on your test or the speeding ticket that you got or whatever challenges at work. You know, we have a lot of business professionals that come in through our doors and they're like, this is my escape from the crazy drama or whatever they're going through at work. And they're just always thanking us for being here. And we're like, no, thank you for coming, man. Like, you know, without you, we wouldn't be here. So there's not just like the physical, but there's also the mental attributes that come with climbing as well. Yeah. Wow. You touched on COVID and the COVID weight gain, but it makes me wonder what was it like for you when COVID hit? Because, you know, you, you hear about the restaurants, but then another big thing that you hear about are the gyms. Like mm -hmm. people were not allowed to go into gyms for the longest time. And I've just seen gyms fold left and right. Mm -hmm. How did it affect you and your rock climbing business? Yeah, it was, you know, March 12th, 2020. And this whole COVID thing was really starting to take global surge and be on the news and all this. And I was like, no way, they're never going to shut anything down. And I'm really blessed with having a great consulting team, having a great legal team at Aesthetic. And so just starting to pick their brains and they're like, Trevor, no, this is serious. You need to take it serious. And I was like, no, I don't. This is a joke. This is just, you know, some political agenda for the election to do this and that. Like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, March 14th rolls around. And it's like stay-at-home orders go into effect, businesses close, effective immediately. And we're in the climbing gym with a group of people and everyone's like, what? And we're like, this is your last climbing session at ACG. We're locking up our doors. And it was surreal. It was really, really tough for me because I've had my heart and my soul imprinted in this business since it was you know, uh, a seed planted in my brain in that business communication class at or Orange Coast College. And I, I couldn't swallow the pill that, you know, I was being forced to close because of this thing that I had no idea about, no one knew anything about. So I couldn't get advice and I was told to close, but then I was told that I still had to pay my bills. And I was like, well, how do I pay my bills if the money's not coming in? And uh, March was honestly like those next two weeks of March were, were, I mean, horrible. They were so difficult. I kind of spun in my head a little bit. I went to see uh, some therapists and just really like talk it out because I knew at the end of the day, you know, it all rested on the shoulders of leadership, right? And so if our business was gonna be able to, 
thrive and come out of this thing, it was going to be because I was going to thrive because I was going to come out of this and I was going to problem solve. And I believe entrepreneurs are paid to solve problems. No problem, no mission, no mission, no money. And I think a big thing that I just turned around was accepting that this was happening and seeing what I could do with it. You know, it was a blessing of time. If businesses were able to look at this closure as, um, you know, the stopping of the bleeding. And so it illuminated some gaps that we had in our business model that was like, oh, okay, we could fix this. We could fix this. That's like break everything down. We, we all of a sudden had time to dive into our analytics and we were seeing our flows and we were seeing when there were slow times, when there were busy times. And we were just studying what the gym had experienced for the previous you know, seven years of growth. And then really just sitting back at the table and asking ourselves the tough question of like, we don't know how long this is going to go on. What are we going to make of it? Like, we can't just sit here and, you know, for a time it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. We could just like work out, have a facility. Um, but bills kept coming in. Rent was never, you know, forgiven. And we're in a 12,000 square foot building. So you could imagine rent in a 12,000 square foot building. It's like the biggest check I've been writing since I was 22 years old. Right. And so um, I was like, okay, we got to make this happen. We got to figure it out. And, you know, at that point we had savings and, we got to a point where we just did a full transparent plea, right? We got on social media and we uh, wrote out like our heart of like the transparency of the state of the gym, where we're at, that we had to furlough our staff, that, you know, we have bills coming in. And if there were any members out there that would be willing to continue their memberships going in supporting of the gym through this time, that we would be forever grateful. And we put it out there. It was something that I worked on for a couple days. And, you know, it, it almost made me sick to my stomach because I was like, I never wanted to be the person to, you know, ask for a handout or anything like that. But also, it felt like it was life or death. It felt like if we didn't do something, if we didn't get income to the gym, we weren't going to be able to pay our bills and we were just going to go backwards. And we were astonishingly warmly like received by our entire community. It like moved my heart where, you know, we, we went from pre COVID having, you know, over 700 members to down to like, 200, you know, 200, 210 members that continued their memberships, continued supporting. And my brother and I, Dylan and I, we got on the phone and we personally called every single member. We spent two weeks just cold calling, you know, seven hours a day, telling each member exactly what we're going through, what's going on, and if they were able to support the gym, whether at full membership price or, um, you know, at a fraction of it. And, you know, at that time, the government was starting to give out these uh, stimulus bonus checks. And so, you know, we actually had members that donated their $1,200 stimulus check to the gym because they were like, you know, I don't need this money. I have student loans or my job hasn't effect been affected. Uh, I would be tragically upset and just heartbroken if anything happened to aesthetic. And so I really do believe because we've put our heart into it for the last, 
you know, eight and a half years now that we developed a community, a family, a culture that was able to endure the hardest time that, you know, at least my generation has seen and that this business has ever seen the industry, you know, you could even say, you know, this generation for like a global scene. And, um, you know, we were able to get some customer support and our family support for that stopgap between March and about July. And then around July, they started allowing gyms to reopen really quickly. And so we were like, okay, we're going to get this going. And we were open for one week. And then we had to close again because everything went backwards. And at that time, they said that, you know, a child care is an essential service and all essential services could keep on going. And so we have a very large youth program. We actually are the second ranked youth program competitively in the Southwest region of the United States. We had over a hundred kids on our program. And so through the cohort policy where it could be like the same 14 kids with the same coaches, you know, we started cycling these practices. We were doing zoom practices. We were doing practices at the gym with the kids and we were still getting support from less and less members as time went on, but it was just whatever it took to, you know, keep some form of income coming in where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we stopped getting, you know, our paychecks as owners and it just like froze that way. So we picked up side jobs. You know, I started to do some construction. I was driving for Lyft. I was doing anything that I could to, you know, keep afloat because I really believe in being debt free, right? And living below your means. And so really just putting the pedal to the metal. And in July, we had the crazy idea. We were like, hey, this doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Let's go ahead and do these massive remodels that have been on our heart for the last, you know, three, four years. And so we literally went through the entire facility. We retextured, we built out new wall angles, we got new holds, we changed pads, all using our savings and just like put it all like we're betting it all that we're going to be able to come out of this and provide a better facility than people once uh, saw pre-COVID and you know, it was wild because we didn't open up officially back till September. So between March and September, we did three different remodels. We had our youth programs going and like I will forever be grateful and um, humbly thankful to our community here in Southern California to continue supporting us through that tough time. And, you know, we just turned and burned and made this thing happen. So we took every moment of every day and made it everything we could and just stayed super focused. And that allowed us to basically, you know, polish all those uncleaned edges of the climbing gym and reopen in September where people were like, I don't even recognize this gym anymore. You know, we repainted, we retextured, just everything got a turnover, the weightlifting equipment, the bathrooms, the showers, upstairs, we added a whole second floor of climbing. It was just one thing after another, we put it all and put it on the line. And then the government was able to help with a little bit of that payroll protection program. So we were able to bring staff back in September and pay them and then just kind of get the get the train back on the tracks and then build an engine, start the engine and then kind of move forward through that. Then again, we had to close in November, which was crazy. I was like, I can't handle this open close open close open close. It was messing with my psyche. And when we reclosed in November, we did one last ex- 
expansion and we just put it all out there and we built some training tools specifically for climbing. We brought in some uh, new ropes and new hardware and new equipment and new software and new computers and like just changed it all around so that when we reopened in January that we were ready and that the community could see that their dollars went to renovating the facility. It didn't go into our pockets to go take a lavish trip or to buy a car or to buy anything. It went literally into the facility that they loved, that they wanted to support so they could see where their dollars immediately went and immediately went. Right. And, you know, people were so excited. They were just, you know, they had something to look forward to. They, they had, you know, pride that they were able to help their local climbing community come out of this thing strong, right? I always tell people that we didn't survive, we thrived. And I think a lot of uh, challenges that we faced was just a, a mental perspective that we could have either ostracized it and, you know, panicked and freaked out and maybe stumbled. And if we would have stumbled, the business would have closed. But instead, um, we normalized the struggle. You know, we were like, okay, what can we do? How can we do? You know, what's the limit? How can we take the lid off? What, where can we get creative? How can we make this happen? And uh, through just an amazing teammanship of our crew at Aesthetic and then the community and the family we built, we were able to pull out of this thing 10 months later to be fully open and the only standing family-run climbing gym in Southern California. The only family-run standing climbing gym in Southern California. Mm-hmm. That is amazing. It's crazy. It's like I have to pinch myself every day and I'm definitely putting in long hours right now. If, if I'm not at the gym, I'm on the computer. I'm doing emailing and networking and follow-up and this and that. And it's tax season right now. And like the state of California doesn't have its Ishmael together for taxes, but the federal saying one thing. And so it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, I have to think that we were chosen to be tested and through the test, we were going to have a testimony coming out on this and just being able to share our hearts and, you know, hopefully inspire and give hope to the community that things will return back to a form of normalcy. Maybe there will be some nuances or some changes, but, you know, we're, we're here to stay and we're here to serve our community for sure. That's inspiring, man. So are, are you back up at 100%? Um, nope. So we are operating at a 10% capacity limit right now. We have been able to reactivate all our youth programs. So we have four different youth programs in this month of March. We're bringing back outdoor events that we'll be having at our facility. And, you know, we're starting to see some just solid flow throughout the day from noon to 10 p.m. at night. And every... it. I, I pinched myself last night as I was leaving the gym at nine o'clock and almost almost crying in my car because there was laughter in the gym again. There were people sharing stories, talking to each other, trying really hard, getting frustrated. And it's something of that I feel all business owners can relate with when they can stand in their facility or outside of it and look in and see the service that they're doing to their community and the community enjoying themselves again. And that's been, I think, one of the hardest things through COVID is this minimal connection. I really do believe that we're on this planet to connect with you know, fellow mankind, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, to share a high five, to, you know, at this point, it's like either give a fist bump or an elbow tap or a six foot distance wave of like, hey, how's it going? And we're all talking through masks or whatever. But, you know, 
we long for that connection. And that I think is what really sets climbing gyms apart from all other facilities is that it's highlighting that community connection. So it, it was surreal last night to just see people upstairs, downstairs, outside, uh, lining up out front door of like wanting to come in and just being like, okay, you know, we're here and we're going to give it our best shot in 2021. That's really inspiring. It's really incredible what you've done with this business. Thanks, Cameron. And I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Quick question before we go. If you can give any advice to somebody that is thinking about building a gym or opening up a business in the rock climbing industry, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think with all industries, it all starts with conversations. And through my journey of entrepreneurship, I've learned that you're only one or two conversations away from meeting someone that can change your life forever to come and change that trajectory. And so I think if you wanted to get into the climbing industry, it starts with either going to that gear shop or going to that rock climbing gym or that supplier that you know offers climbing holds or whatever equipment for the climbing gym and start asking questions. See if you could get a job there and just start immersing yourself in the culture, in the industry, in the, in the scene, wherever you're at and, you know, let your heart take captive of whatever passion ignites from your experiences there. If you want to open a gear shop, if you want to open a climbing gym, if you want to, you know, open a nonprofit to give back to the community, whatever it is, I think it all starts with just having those conversations and putting that idea out there and not being scared to speak your mind and just be like, this is my dream. I want to accomplish it. Can you help me? And I think a lot of the times, you know, we don't ask for help because we think people are going to judge us. And that's one thing that I had to let go early on in my career at Aesthetic was, you know, letting go of what I thought others would think about me and just, you know, being vulnerable, putting my heart out there. And I mean, it's been squished a couple of times, don't get me wrong, but that's made me stronger and allowed me to, you know, be softer around the edges, you could say, where I've been through it and I, now I can teach it. So yeah, man, definitely reaching out, talking to people in the local community and just networking and starting to ask those questions. Awesome. Where can our listeners find you on social media and where can they find Aesthetic Climbing Gym? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook or Instagram under Aesthetic Climbing Gym. And then our business is located in Lake Forest, California, right by the Etney Skate Park in the 241 Toll Road. And um, we have a website, aestheticclimbinggym.com, and you can get all information there about memberships, day passes, youth programs, and um, any and all events that will be happening at our facility. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Trevor. Absolutely, Cameron. It's been great. And I look forward to seeing you on the walls sometime soon, bro. You just might. <laughs> all right. Take care. Can't knock it till you try it, right? Even though I've never climbed one of those walls, who knows? I might actually like it. And to be honest, since you're attached to a safety harness, I think falling might actually be the funnest part. But maybe that's just me. I would like to thank you, the listener, for joining us today for this incredible small business story. Don't forget to follow My Bright Idea on your podcast player so you can hear all of my upcoming episodes with more fun and inspirational stories from small business owners. 
If you would like to see our guest bios and be a part of the discussions behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook. Just type in My Bright Idea and join the group. You can also find us on Twitter at My Bright Idea Pod and Instagram at My Bright Idea Podcast. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please visit mybrightideapodcast.com. Go to be a guest and submit your story there. And if anyone would like to show support by buying me a cup of coffee, you can do that at my website as well. Thank you, everyone. I wish all of you an abundance of success and happiness. See you next time.